Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, back where the MCU kicked off. And we're getting toward the end. We are looking at minute 106. And with us, we have guests Rick and Julia Ingham from the Mad Max Minute. Hey! Hello! Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you for letting us come over here and participate in some robot fights. Well, <laughs> we love talking Mad Max with you guys, and we can't wait to talk about uh, giant fighting robots uh, with you today and this week. We thought we might like a break uh, talking ab- uh, about movies with giant mounds of dirt in them. <laughs> this movie is decidedly free of dirt. Thank goodness. <laughs> but we know you love talking about mechanical things uh, with all the cars. So, hey, mm-hmm. time for some robot fighting. <laughs> we are looking at Iron Man Minute 106. As I said, on today's show, the minute starts with the rise of the Ironmonger. And it ends with a family screaming in their SUV. Good times in this minute. This is a, a great uh, reveal of kind of Ironmonger in all of his glory as he bursts out of the parking lot and uh, confronts Pepper. It's a nice uh, it's a nice way to really kind of see this whole thing coming into being. Is there any sort of symbolic sort of discussion we need to have about the birth of Ironmonger from the Earth? Like he emerges like this grand god kind of erupting like a volcano from the asphalt. Uh, is there something in that from the comics? Is there some sort of like, I don't have that comic background. What is, is there a birth of Ironmonger? There's no, he just puts the suit on and then he goes to fight. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, just like, it's practically yeah. Monday for him. Right. No. Yeah. But in the script, in the script, it does say like a hatching dinosaur, he peels away asphalt, pulling himself out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't know comics, but I do know Disney movies. And the way that Ironmonger moves, it reminds me of the Rock Titan from the Hercules movie. Yes. I was actually going to bring oh. up the same thing. It reminded me of the Titans crawling out of the earth in Greek mythology. Yeah. Well, that's what I was noticing, too, that that connection. And I think they're trying to set him up the way the camera looks, the way he's staring down at pepper it's that sort of puny human look you know mm-hmm. that uh, that puny human gaze that i think is uh, is it's a good look for him and it's spectacular how much they're able to give him weight by just how he moves like you'll watch ironmonger try and move around you're like okay that guy is obviously very heavy <laughs> right right <laughs> right except for the 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 little tiptoe move that he did in the hallway in uh, the previous minute when he's running down the hallway that's something we couldn't uh, help but laugh at when you see how fast his, his little feet pitter-patter as <laughs> he's chasing after Pepper downstairs. I say, we weren't here for that one, but as we were watching the movie, I was like, oh, hey, it's the Hulk scene with Black Widow from the Avengers movie. They did it here first. <laughs> they did it here first. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just appreciated that didn't look like Pepper was running too easily in her shoes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It looked like she was having trouble. Gwyneth Paltrow is no Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering she's running on a graded floor, though, it's yeah. pretty, it's, uh, that's a difficult thing to run on in high heels. I'm surprised oh, yeah. she was able to keep her shoes on. Not only was she able to do all that in the high heels with the shoes on, she bested five shield agents. 
<laughs> to get out of the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this whole scene is an exercise in why it's not always a good idea to wear open toed shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and technically, you know, she she went to she was having a normal day and and Tony sent her on this secret mission to steal yeah. stuff from her computer. And so it's not like she planned on that. But yes, this is one of those moments. She, I mean, if she had seen Romancing the Stone when she was younger, she should know there's a, there's a time when you really just should need to be wearing uh, more practical shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and this isn't the first time today that she has come across broken glass all over the floor. Right. It's the same day as she came across at Tony's house, right? Uh, it's not the same day, but uh, there has been broken glass. As we've learned, Tony has not done any cleaning up in his workshop. So she should know, don't wear open-toed shoes when working at Tony's place because <laughs> there's glass everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and if she wants to, if she wants it to be cleaned up, she's going to have to do it herself. Yeah, or or program or talk to Jarvis and have you know Dummy and yeah. you do some of the cleaning or something. <laughs> I don't know. If, if Dummy and you can hold a camera and a fire extinguisher, they can hold a broom and a waistband. Well, they can already <laughs> wax cars. Yeah, we saw Dummy mm -hmm. uh, dusting the Roadster earlier, so. That's something. Yeah, just just put a, a, a little dustpan in his hand. But you'll have to take care of that another time because as Obadiah says... She's not going anywhere. Well, and is this like, I, I feel like we, we already have talked about uh, Obadiah has clearly crossed the line from from logical bad guy to to nonsensical bad guy as he's just kind of gone down this this insane road of just like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the suit now and I'm crazy and I'm just going to destroy everything. He's chasing after Pepper and he has the most like Arnold Schwarzenegger villain bad guy line right here, right? It's just like your services are no longer required. I mean, I, I really want to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger deliver that now as a ironmonger. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hear him say it just as anything, as retired governor. I think that would be fantastic. I, I look at this scene and that shot, while it's so menacing, like here we go, right about second 14 of, of this minute where he pulls out that giant, I don't even know what to call it, like that Gatling gun kind of thing on the side of his wrist uh, and He's aiming that at the puny human. He could literally flick her head and kill her with one tiny finger of that suit. But he is about to lay waste to her, turn her into complete pudding with that massive cannon on his arm. And this is where I think, I, you know, the critics of this movie step in and say, "Uh oh, we've become digital things, throwing things at digital things. This is where it starts uh, for a movie that has been so grounded and so, you know, beautifully uh, constructed. This is where things start to start to get questionable. Uh, I'm curious, you guys, what's your what's your take on this part? Are you in uh, uh, are you in camp uh, gentle frustration with the last act of Iron Man or, or do you do you buy it? I buy it because. From personal experience, I think most people have personal experience of when you lose control, when you're angry or frustrated, you lose logical thinking and you start doing stupid things and you say stupid things. Now, he is, of course, an extreme example of that. We don't all pull out Gatling guns to fire our frustrating employee. But, you know, he has been given this great power and the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. 
And I think along with that goes, with great power can also come great madness. And he has experienced that in the last few minutes. Made that transition. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's fully let it go to his head that he is in this unstoppable human-shaped tank and that nothing can stop it. He has no accountability to anybody because he can just blow them up with a Gatling gun. And how could that not take someone like Stain and turn him into a madman? Right, right. Hey, I wonder what'll happen when I do X, right? When you're mad. <laughs> yeah, he's finally able to vent those frustrations, like Julia said, and the only thing that can stop him is another man in an iron suit. And I think the way that they animate this fight with how much with how they let the Ironmonger move and how Tony reacts to all of these different things, I think it might seem a little ridiculous at times, but I think overall it's able to meld well with the rest of the movie. That's just how I see it. Well, it is very much that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, And I think we get a good example of that. Stain is a guy who's been kind of running this company, I guess you could say covertly under... Uh, Tony's nose and the way that he wants to. And then when Tony steps in and pushes things the way that Obadiah doesn't want, it's affecting his, his power. And he, he sees that as a, as an attack uh, quite literally and, and decides to counterattack. And this is how he does it. And it's interesting. He jumps into the suit and yeah, I would say if you're going to fight people dressed in this giant, ridiculous suit, why just flick their head off with your finger when you can use these weapons? I mean, he hasn't tested it before, so now is his chance to start actually doing all these tests. And so I guess to that end, I can see why he probably would choose to to point his gun and shoot Pepper instead of flicking her head off. Yeah, go big or go home. Right, right. And I've been thinking about this in the context of some of the conversations we've had recently, because I, I am one that has gone back and forth, especially with this particular viewing one minute at a time and how satisfying it is to see all the work they put into the practical stuff. But I think about the movie as a whole, and I just don't know how you end this movie, this property, this character without doing this kind of, of scene and this kind of action. When you have the capabilities that they've demonstrated, I don't know how you how you do that any other way. And I still haven't seen a, a good comparison from those who are critics of the movie of, of a great big blockbuster film that's able to, to capture the action in the same way uh, and make it satisfying to them. So um, I, I think I end up in, in favor of it, uh, you know, given the tools we had at the time and given the characters that they've built that it that it makes sense. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a two-point argument that you have yes. here. One argument is the fake things fighting fake things argument. The other argument, which I think is the argument more people have, is this idea of uh, Obadiah going all of a sudden crazy and all of a sudden his this last act of the film seems like it takes a turn that wasn't expected because Obadiah didn't seem to have mm. logic built into... That he was unearned, yeah. So those it's it's like two different arguments there. Um, I and but you know I don't know I, I think you're right when you're doing a superhero movie and you have Iron Man, you know you want to have a, an enemy that seems like you know somebody that would make sense. And so I think Ironmonger is an interesting villain because it almost is like the antithesis of Iron Man. It's a bigger suit. It's another big iron suit that somebody's wearing that's full of weapons and so it makes it makes sense to have this as a as a villain and i i know that initially they had talked about the mandarin 
and the Crimson Dynamo as the villains. But I think in context of who Obadiah Stane is and, and his relationship with Tony in the comics, I think it ended up being a really interesting choice for a villain that I, for my money, works really well as the first villain, as the one that kind of kicks off this whole uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, because it it relates to our character. And I think it's there's that uh, relationship that these characters had had beforehand. It's not like some strange, random villain coming from outer space all of a sudden that he has to fight. I'm glad you brought up the topic of Stain's slow descent into madness and i and as we were watching this movie in its entirety in preparation for this guest spot i was watching the movie specifically with an eye looking for the ways in which obadiah telegraphs this turn at the end of the movie and i think if you're watching it not thinking okay, in the third act, he's going to turn into a madman in a robot suit, then this turn can seem rather crazy. But I felt as I was watching with that mindset of he's going to turn that a lot of Jeff Bridges' performance, at least in my eyes, I could see it coming. Like I could see little ways of him edging himself closer and closer to this villain turn. Julia, I don't know if you were seeing the same thing as I was. Well, I wasn't. And now I wish that I had. It makes me want to go back and watch the movie and pay closer attention to Obadiah and his behavior along the way. Yeah, because all of those little reactions, all of those little interactions where Obadiah was the 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 worrying stepfather and the disapproving uncle and the guy just trying to get things to work despite the situation, I could see that sort of tension rising and i think this is just the logical release of that energy that might be a good way to put it and in some of the best scenes that we have of obadiah's descent he's not even speaking you know one of the little tiny it's practically two shots i think maybe three is him just watching the news you know and he doesn't speak and it's just him staring and brooding at this at what's going on and he's wearing his silky pajamas and we get to see his you know his home and i just feel like the way bridges plays that sequence it allows us to kind of earn this sequence, which is the mano a mano fight, the mano yeah. a mano fight that we've been needing to see. Like, I don't think we could have seen Iron Man go up against a team of bads. We need to see this for this first movie. And it, it's more earned the more patient you are, I think, as a viewer and the more you pay attention to Stain, because I, I think the cues are ultimately there. Yeah, we'll save the big robot fight for, as Rhodey said, next time. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we have to earn that, right? That's how we started this whole thing. You've got to earn your wizards. Uh, and, and this movie is grounding us in a universe in which, you know, big robot fights can happen. Because they feel at this point, and this is why I think it works so well as kind of the kickoff for the whole cinematic universe, it feels like two people in, granted, much grander, but military tools that they are using to fight each other. Right. I think it's a really interesting way to kind of start this whole thing off. Totally. So we've got that the fantastic moment where he's about to uh, to shoot Pepper, and then Iron Man comes flying around the corner and screams at him, "Hey, like over here!" And then <laughs> and then and plows right into him. I, I just have to read this uh, from the script because it's it's very funny as Pepper sees Stain coming out of the ground and uh, is stepping back, 
she is on the line with with Tony, and uh, she says, Tony, and Tony says, Pepper, I have one thing I need to say to you. Duck! (laughs) 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 There are moments in the script where I I go, okay, they they picked the better way for the film. Mm -hmm. And then there are moments I'm like, I can't even believe they put that in the script. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So bad. Just so bad. Really glad that they decided not to do that. There are a lot of, there's a lot of power in those on-set script changes. <laughs> yes. go, go ahead and improvise, folks. It's better that way. <laughs> it will it will make it so much better. Yeah, we do have the moment where where Tony plows into him, and then we we go through this next bit very quickly. So Tony's going to hit Ironmonger right in the face. They're going to fall through the hole back into the underground lair. This is the section sixteen room where. Obadiah had been building the the suit. They bounce off the floor, blast through the wall, which happens to conveniently also be the wall on the side of the freeway. They blast through that onto the freeway, through a semi's uh, trailer, across the divide, and land on the other side of the freeway in the middle of traffic. And let me just add, the logo on the side of the semi-truck is a giant X, which I find enormously satisfying, and then they actually miss it. It's a tar- oh. <laughs> the X marks the spot that they don't actually hit, which I think is very funny. Right. Yes, that is very funny. Yeah. This whole thing happens in in all of like, uh, you know, four or five seconds. It is a very brief uh, blast that they have here. Oh, my gosh. The logo. I can't believe it. I missed it. It's an X, but it's the double X of rocks on. Right. I had never seen that. All right. Sorry. You continue, Andy. I apologize. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I had that as one of my notes. The rocks on uh, semi-truck. And yeah. uh, uh, we're going to see more rocks on tomorrow, but I did have in my notes. The, you know, let's make sure we talk about this. The logo is not the same as it was in the comics, which was kind mm-hmm. of a bird logo. And the X's are totally different here. I, and I do think it's interesting here on the side of the truck. It is kind of like, like you said, an X marks the spot, a big kind of circle. And uh, we will see a different logo tomorrow. So something to be aware of. <laughs> so funny. But I did I did want to uh, talk about this because we were talking in, in yesterday's minute um, or uh, the last minute about how Obadiah gets through the parking lot. He crawls like he, he digs out of the ground and kind of comes into the parking lot where Pepper is. Now, as they blast through the floor, we see very quickly that it actually, he only had to crawl through like two feet of cement to get out uh, into the parking lot. But the ceiling is like 50 feet high. I really want to know, and I'm curious what you guys think, how did Obadiah get up to the ceiling to get through the, uh, the ceiling and out into the parking lot? So my guess are those funky little jump jet things that we're going to see in um, in tomorrow's minute where he's doing that little frogger hop skip over traffic. Right. And he, he does these hops. And I think that's probably how he did it. He just did a big hop and then like a Super Mario uppercut like he's going through uh, the Mushroom can- Kingdom or something like that. Well, given the amount of chains we saw in the last minute, maybe he just pulled himself right up to the top. <laughs> right. Well, there certainly are chains in this shot very quickly that we, we see. And there's a big pipe under there. So maybe he somehow got up onto the pipe and then shimmied. Yeah. <laughs> he shimmied the pipe. <laughs> yeah, I picture him just kind of monkeying his way up there with whatever's available. 
And I think monkey is a good way to describe it because the ironmonger suit definitely feels like a gorilla configuration with a lot right. longer arms than legs. Yeah, and that's that's actually something that we should keep in mind is that this suit is much bigger than Tony's. It's like a 10-foot high suit. So Obadiah is in it, but his arms like don't reach out to the hands. Like it, this is more a mini version of like a Pacific Rim type of suit where he's got controls inside and he's kind of moving, but the arms, you're right, are probably a lot longer than normal arms and same with the legs. So they blast out onto the freeway. So just a, a quick sense of of place. We've uh, blasted out onto the freeway. Technically, um, it's next to Stark Industries, but in reality, they're filming on uh, on Shoreline Drive. This is they first go across westbound Shoreline Drive, and then they land on eastbound Shoreline Drive. This is just west of Queensway in Long Beach is where they're actually filming this. And uh, it, it they was involved quite a bit of uh, of permitting and everything to get the freeway closed, but uh, but it works nicely. This is, I think, an interesting way to do this. And actually, Favreau had talked about how initially the whole ending of the film was going to take place. I think, as they called it, because the villain was the Mandarin, they called it whatever a stand, and mm-hmm. they, it was some foreign country somewhere, and that's where the big final fight was going to be and they were storyboarding it and everything and and Favreau looked at his storyboard artist and some of the other people and said look this is the movie we're making but then he looked at some pictures that the storyboard artist had done of a freeway fight in downtown LA and he said but this is the movie people want to see you know they want to see it kind of personalized and close to home and I think it again you know these decisions that they made make for such a better movie rather than putting it in some far off place for the first film, this is a great way to ground it by making it feel like it's right here on our soil and we can we get a sense of it this way. And it really ties into the overarching narrative of Tony starting off as the millionaire playboy making weapons and then he has the life-altering experience in another country and then decides to change his life. And so this is his life fighting back to not be changed. Like he's made this psychological shift within himself and now he makes needs to make a physical shift by fighting the resistance against that shift in his own life as opposed to fighting some guy in whatever stand <laughs> right. right right this is still an internal conflict even though it's with another person in a giant mech suit right it, it has been the same conflict all along it's it, all along it's been his conflict as he's recuperating from this horrific surgery and injury and his captivity is sort of ptsd experiences however he manifests those in his lab and now it's just taken on a new form rick and julia what do you what are your guys's um opinions of robert downey jr and uh and jeff bridges are you fans of their work as far as robert downey jr goes uh i think the only movies that I'm like really familiar with that have him are the Marvel movies. And I'm a huge fan of him in this role as Tony Stark. I think it's perfect. It's genius casting. I can't imagine anybody else playing that part. Kind of the same thing goes for Jeff Bridges. I'm not hugely familiar with his work. Um, I don't love him in this role, but I don't think I'm supposed to. So I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat as far as Robert Downey Jr. because I didn't follow any of his earlier work, like any of his uh, 
teen rom-com stuff, any of his work on SNL or yeah, anything like that. Um, I really got on board with him starting with this movie. And then like he has other roles that he's cropped up in. Uh, The one that comes to mind is playing Lazarus Kane in the Tropic Thunder movie. I got a big (laughs) kick out of that one. Um, But with Jeff Bridges, on the other hand, I was first exposed to him in The Big Lebowski. And so I got to get a taste of him as the dude. And then for some reason, I saw Big Lebowski before I ever saw Tron. So that was another big defining moment for me with Jeff Bridges. And just as he's gone along playing all of his cowboy roles and things like that, he's just got this air about him that I that I enjoy watching. So it's been an easy fit to see him in all of these different roles. And I like him in this role as Obadiah Stane because I think he's just such a good, um, for lack of a better term, stepdad character. Like he is Tony's surrogate father and he resents Tony so much. And it's so good in my eyes. So I very much enjoy him in this role. Yeah, he's he's been uh, great. I'm, I'm a fan of both of these guys. And I think Jeff Bridges is just... You know, he's always fun to watch. Even in bad movies, he ends up just making it fun because it's him. Yeah. Uh, we do have, uh, we go from uh, from the moment of them landing to uh, another uh, chance for Audi to have a product of theirs featured. We've got the, mm-hmm. the Audi Q7 uh, pulling up, uh, screeching to a halt right in front of the two uh, robot monsters that have landed on the freeway. And uh, then Obadiah uses that as a chance to to pick up the car and uh, get ready to crush Tony with it. And of course we get a great shot of the, uh, the mom and four kids in it. Weirdly, the, uh, the IMDb cast list uh, has five kids listed. And I have looked, I don't know how many times trying to like frame by frame. Where's the fifth kid. Did you, have you seen the fifth kid? uh, Yeah, I was, I was just watching it. And I, I think there's a third row of seats. I think there's a third row with one kid in it. Because I see, I see the mom and the kid in the front seat. So hard to see. I know, and we'll have a, more of a chance also tomorrow I to look at them so, again. Yeah. But. At forty-four, I I feel like I see three heads in the back. Is that possible? Well, there are three. There's so uh, there's five total in the car. There's five total people, but the IMDb is saying there's six total people. There's there's five, kids. five kids. There are five kids and a mom. Five kids is what right. IMDb says. So, so I don't know. I'm very curious where this extra kid is. But the mom. This is an interesting uh, fact. Uh, Donna Evans Merlo plays the mom. She is also Gwyneth Paltrow's stunt double uh, for Pepper Potts in this film. Oh, huh. oh, look at that. Yeah, nice. So I uh, I wonder if she was doing some of the the running earlier when she was. Uh, when Pepper is running around downstairs. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but the kids are uh, Ava Rose Williams, Reed Harper, Summer Kylie Remington, Vladimir Kuber, and Callie Marie uh, Crofwell. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Again, I don't know which of those kids is not featured because they don't all have pictures on IMDb. Yeah, this, this moment here, it's going to, it's going to bridge the... Mi- between Monday and Tuesday, but this car, it, it annoys me. Oh, really? <laughs> Why does it annoy you? Probably because of the screaming. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> what this, would you do? 
if you were a child. Um, okay, if I was a child, that's one thing. If I was an adult driving the car, I would swerve. I would not come to a stop right in front of the giant robot. I would drive around the giant robot and keep going. And then if I was caught by a second robot, I would do something else. And I'll save that rant for Tuesday. (laughs) A cliffhanger rant. Yeah. Because I don't want to burn content before we get to it. No, no, no. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that. That's going to be fun. We do have, as Obadiah prepares to throw this car at Tony, he's got another scripted line here that uh, I think also defines him and his mentality of kind of being a weapons manufacturer. Collateral damage, Tony. It does Mm -hmm. sound like something that somebody who's in the weapons manufacturing world would say. What I thought was interesting in the script, he says, people are always going to die, Tony part of the chess game, which, uh, as a character in the comic books, he was the chess master before it was revealed that he was actually Obadiah Stane. So Hmm. I actually like that there's another little hint of a nod to kind of that chess world that he came from. And uh, and, and then we get uh, a really great uh, Unibeam blast from Tony's, uh, from from his chest piece, which is something that I, I don't know if people were just excited to see or hoping to see, but it was something that, that Audie Granoff had kind of introduced as something that Tony could do in the Extremist comic line when he was doing that in the, um, just before this. So it's a really cool moment to see that Unibeam blast, which, uh, which he uses to uh, knock... Obadiah back and then catch the car. And that's kind of where we end this minute. Well, and it's such a beautiful, like, love letter to the Unibeam in the comic, right? Just, I love seeing the way the the light sort of lights up all the cracks in his suit, up his arms and up his abdominal plating and uh, into the shoulders before it erupts from him. It's fantastic. Super, it's like, it's like energy sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could say that. I guess you could say that. (laughs) Oh, tell me you're not just dying for it. Just great choices. (laughs) Great choices all around. Oh, I don't have anything else for this minute. What about you guys? No, we're ready to move on. Yeah. I know you're holding your rant. (laughs) (laughs) We're all all on pins and needles. What is this rant going to be? I can't wait. Well, um, well, you guys, uh, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you and learn more about your show? Certainly. The best place to find our stuff online is by going to www.madmaxminute.com. And I say that's the best way to go it. Because if you find us on iTunes and Google Play, you'll most likely see the latest 100 episodes. And that's all well and good. But over the past couple of years, we've gone through every Mad Max movie one minute at a time. We're talking about the 1979 original. We're talking about Road Warrior. We're talking about Beyond Thunderdome. And those previous seasons can all be found on our website, madmaxminute.com. Fantastic. Well, check it out, everybody. It's a fantastic show. A lot of fun, especially, uh, well, I mean, I'd say anyone who's really a fan of the Mad Max films should definitely check those out because it's a, it's a fun ride and you learn a ton of interesting information about it. And I guess that's it, everybody. So that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. 
And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. Thank you.